Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. We are finally back together. No, you're, you're finally back. I've been no, here. But you... I did it the week before by myself. I know. But welcome back from vacation. We're here. We're both here. Thank you. We're both here for, yeah, for the first time in weeks, and it's good to be here. But here at Compass, we exist, Life Group Leaders, to make disciples, reach people, and teach people, all for the glory of God. And, and train people. And did I, did I say that? Training people to serve Christ. Everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to equip you to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we are smack dab in the middle of a brand new series. Not a brand new. A passing new. A moderately new current series called Kingdom Happiness. And this one was entitled Hungry for Righteousness. And that text is Matthew 5, 6. You want to read that? Absolutely. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All right, Pastor Hayden, what was, you actually put it on the screen, what was the main point of this sermon this Sunday, this morning? The main point is kingdom happiness is experienced by those who are counted righteous before God through Jesus Christ and obey him. Those who are right before God through Christ's righteousness and those who will obey Christ. And you had three points. Point number one, find satisfaction in Christ's righteousness. Point number two, pursue progressive righteousness. Mm. Point number three, long for complete righteousness. And so, Pastor Hayden, I've written down a handful of questions based on your sermon this morning to help us as life group leaders to be prepared to lead our life groups this week and maybe things that our, our people in our life groups are thinking. All right. And maybe to be prepared to answer those, maybe objections or concerns or things that they should be thinking about that they're not thinking about or express the thing that the person has like, I can't put my thumb on it, what it is. Or like, is it this? Or like, yeah. Hopefully these questions help that. Hopefully. Yeah. Especially with the yeah at the end. Right. And we want to help you guys with worldview questions too in, in these podcasts. And so... Uh, if you have questions concerning worldview, like anytime you listen to, our, to the sermons on Sunday, shoot them to us. We'd like to answer them through these podcasts. So, you know, if it's like kingdom happiness is experienced by those who are counted righteous before God. Well, that's a worldview statement, isn't it? We can be happy by being counted righteous before God. Other worldviews say that we're happy by creating our own righteousness. So if you have questions like that, shoot them our way after a sermon and we'll put them into the podcast. Pi- might put them in the podcast. Well, okay, if it's a good question. It's a good question. All right. All right. What do you got? Well, first question I wrote down, under finding satisfaction in Christ's righteousness, I was thinking, can you uh, practically lay out what a hunger and thirst for righteous, uh, for God's righteousness looks like for an unbeliever? In the context, you mentioned how when we're unbelievers and we see the need and we're mourning for our sin and our, our realize we're poor in spirit, we, we hunger for righteousness. Can you kind of help flesh that out a little bit more in detail so our, we can help our life groups understand that? Yeah, I think it's uh, fundamental to understand that we're talking about a, a, a specific kind of unbeliever, right? An unbeliever who's being drawn to Christ. Because if not, you're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? It's not going to be this hunger and thirst for God's righteousness isn't experienced by every unbeliever. But for the unbeliever who's being drawn to God, uh, this is uh, the real case. Right? That's how we are led to become Christians, because we, we have this deep desire to be righteous in the sight of God. 
And so for the unbeliever, it is like, man, there is a deep void of not only just unrighteousness in my life, but knowing that I can never be righteous in the sight of God. And I really think the the practical uh, experience for the unbeliever is found in Matthew chapter 5 when it tells us, you know, what these people look like, verses 3 and 4. They're going to be poor in spirit. They're going to be mourning their sin. They're going to be meek and humble before the Lord. And in that, they're going to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So that's, I mean, that is really, really what I believe a pre-converted person is going to look like practically uh, as they're coming to know Christ's righteousness being imputed to them. It's another way to explain the irresistible grace of God, that once the God opens their eyes to see they're standing in this grace that's offered, there is a, you can say a choice in the matter, but there it's a choice that there is no choice. You have to, and you're like, I have to choose this because I see my dependency on God and I need it. And so God, I cry out to you for it. And I can even think of my own testimony of how you explained it, where I was in my room, I saw my sin finally for what it was, and my eyes were just open to see how fallen and broken I really mm-hmm. was. And immediately I saw the choice to, I can continue in this particular sin, or I can find freedom in Christ. And I'm like, of course I want freedom in Christ. So I cried out for God for help to deliver me and to forgive me and to give me a new heart, a new life. And so I can, as you were explaining, like that, that you're explaining me at 20 years old in college. Hmm. All right. So moving on to another question is, how is a new position in Christ more satisfying than any desire or, or sin we can have in this life? So, again, you're talking about a particular kind of person here, right? A person who is in Christ. Again, because if you talk about all of the inhabitants in the world, they're not going to think that a new position in Christ is more satisfying than the desires of their flesh. They're not right now. But those who in in Christ will. And how is it more satisfying? We can argue real easily why it's more satisfying to be in Christ than not to be in Christ. But the question here is posited in is, how is the new position in Christ more satisfying than any desire of sin in the context of a Christian? It can be both, but it's it's a, it's a real, I would say, both. I would say for the Christian, I think we should explain the Christian first, okay. and the reality that the unbeliever rejects. So it's this answer, I think, simply in the context of a Christian is the fact that in Christ you are loved, beloved by the Father, because Christ is beloved by the Father. Right? You are uh, righteous in the sight of the Father, because Christ is righteous in the sight of the Father. Uh, I am satisfied my longing for righteousness. Right? And again, remember we, in question number one, who are the people who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness? Those are the ones who uh, the text tells us are going to be satisfied. So it's not just, and this again, that's why I don't think it's just everybody. This isn't just anybody. That's why Jesus says, happy are those who do, because there's a lot of people who don't. And so for the people who do, they're going to find that their new position in Christ is satisfying because the longing for the righteousness that they could never have, they now have, and it cannot be taken away. And I, and I would make the case that it's it's for, the satisfaction is not necessarily for all, but it's the idea of our sin is that we think we find satisfaction. 
and we go back to it over and over, but it's never satisfying. I well, think you're talking the, about for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian particularly, like the woman at the well. She wasn't right. satisfied with her sexual lust. That's right. why she was in a, with a man who was not her husband. It was the fifth man. Right, which which was why I think like when we talk about the non-Christian, we're, we're actually talking about a lack of satisfaction. You're yes. never going to be satisfied, uh, but you're also not going to be satisfied with Christ's righteousness because you don't have it. But you are, I mean, but it is more satisfying if they would have it because everything else that they're going to go after will leave them unsatisfied. And, and they're really left with no no alternative outside of the righteousness of Christ. Exactly. And, you know, the, the worldview is, as for us as Christians, why is Christ more satisfying than the sin that we were once enslaved to or even tempted by as a Christian? It's because we know what's to come. Therefore, we're able to forego and let go what used to enslave us to go, I don't need this. Christ satisfies me, and I look forward to something even better, whereas right. the unbeliever is like, this is the best thing I have, and I have to keep feeding this. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be all for naught. Right. And even now, though, I mean, we, we look forward to this judgment coming that's going to deliver the righteous and uh, condemn the unrighteous. But because you talk about, oh, we look forward to that, that's a worldview thing. But the worldview thing is also a here thing, right? I mean, the Christian the Christian in the will of God is going to live a much more satisfying life in Christ than their unchristian counterpart. They will because they have a satisfaction of obeying the will of God, and God is going to lead that person, and that's much more. Worldview, again, it's a satisfaction in accomplishing the will of God. Then here's a third question I wrote down under the point number one is what does continuing to hunger and thirst for a right position with God look like for a Christian? Yeah, uh, this is really a question that leads into progressive righteousness. Uh, it was my segue plan. Yeah, it, and that's really what it is. I mean, as you are being conformed into the likeness of Christ, you're going to grow in your hunger and you're going to grow in your thirst for a righteous life. And again, you're never attaining the righteous life on your own, but you are hungering for a righteousness that is, has been, you're hungering for a righteousness because of first a righteousness that's been imputed to you through Christ, and that is uh, uh, driving a greater hunger for the fact that your life would, even as I said in the sermon, would uh, in every way be pleasing to God. And there is just, uh, we can all be honest that we just have areas in our life and times in our life that we just aren't pleasing to God. And the person who grows in their hunger and thirst for that righteousness are going to say, hey, those areas there, I desire that they be righteous uh, in the sight of God every day of my life. All right. And we'll segue into point number two, pursue progressive righteousness. Uh, can you lay out for us as life group leaders what it practically looks like for a, for a Christian to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, maybe a real example, so that we can relay this to our life group. The people are like, I, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I thought it's God working in me, but you're telling me I need to work. What's going on? Okay. Uh, say that you're you're you deal with drunkenness. Okay. Uh, the Bible. What does the Bible say about drunkenness? Don't get drunk. Okay. Don't get drunk. Uh, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit. Uh, don't be overtaken by much wine. Uh, the for, drunk will not inherit the kingdom right, of God. For wine is a mocker, and strong drink is a, is a brawler. Right? I mean, it's like, okay, let's go throughout the text. You see, so that's what you got to do, right? If you want to lay out what it practically looks like for a Christian to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you say, okay, you got to be saved. Um, then you got to know what the Bible actually says about 
drunkenness. And then from there, you're going to say, okay, well, all these things that the text is saying about drunkenness, I recognize I'm doing. Okay, and I know that it isn't God's will that I do that. As a matter of fact, as we read today in uh, 1 Thessalonians, that God's will for my life is sanctification. sanctification. So I know now that God does not want me to live in drunkenness. And here's what the Scripture teaches me to do, to flee these situations. And so for me to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to say, okay, uh, the Holy Spirit is convicting me of this sin. That's why I'm actually feeling this way. And it's actually got me to pursue Scripture and see what it says about this. And so now I've got to say, I've got to flee from these things. So, you know, I used to every Friday night and Saturday night, I'd find myself downtown at the bar. And I know that having a drink is not sinful, but in my life, turns out that as I have a drink, I start uh, not only sinning, but I become a drunk. And so that would mean me cooperating with the Holy Spirit and fleeing from the situation says it would be a great application to say I'm not going to the bar any longer. Right? I'm not going to recreationally drink because... I am a drunk. I'm a drunkard, right? I, these these things are are defining my life. So I'm going to stop doing that. Okay? Now, instead of then no longer going on Friday and Saturday night to the bar, I'm going to fill my Friday and Saturday nights with something different. I don't want to be filled with uh, wine. I want to be filled with the Spirit. So what are spiritual things now I can fill my life with that God would say are honorable and then I, I just choose those things. This is my life group. My life group's hanging out on Friday night. I'm going to go do that. Maybe they're not hanging out, and I create a hangout. I'm going to be doing things that I know honors the Lord with my time and my life, and cooperating with the Holy Spirit is saying, He's leading you away from that. Now it's good to be a part of a Bible teaching church. It's good to be a part of community. It's going to help you apply that and flesh that out. But there definitely is some putting off and putting on, as Colossians and Ephesians tells us to do, when we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Now, this might be a little bit of a fine line question, but I think it might be helpful. What does it look like for someone to try to cooperate with the Spirit, but really are not? They're they're trying to give their best effort, and really they're they're failing dismally at it. Essentially, they're just they're being legalistic about their their work instead of you cooperating with the Spirit. Instead, they're trying to do good things to cover their sin to cover to do good things to cover their sin i mean i don't know i think it i don't know splitting hairs perhaps i mean what does it look like for somebody to try to cooperate with the spirit uh i don't know like if you're trying to what are you trying to manipulate the spirit because i don't i mean if you're trying to cooperate with the spirit there seems to be some kind of uh, desire to follow god well i guess what i mean to clarify the question yeah. would be to they look like on the surface they're trying to cooperate with the spirit but ra- rather than relying on the spirit to give them the strength to do it they're relying fully on themselves and what they're doing to show oh I, i'm doing the right thing where they're like hey you might okay. be doing the right things but you're not really following the spirit you're just trying to present yourself well i always have to ask you know what how do what do we think about their justification are they saved because those people are going to try for righteousness and they're never going to attain righteousness because you can't outside of christ so that is a very common strand in the non-christian life to try to cooperate with the Holy Spirit for righteousness that they don't have access to righteousness nor the Holy Spirit, so they really can't. And that's what I think I was alluding alluding toward. And so, where are some for us life group leaders? Where are some I say telltale signs? It's us getting to know the person. But what are some of the things that you'll notice in your own counseling and your own mm-hmm. discipleship of the person who, on the surface, thinks they are cooperating with the Spirit? In reality, they're an unbeliever trying to achieve heaven. Yeah, simple. Right? Are they're not bearing fruit? 
You know, it's, it's you know, it is literally uh, the classic example of I can give a non-Christian and a Christian the same counsel, and one of them are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, and the other one is either going to produce legalistic advances to righteousness and fail, uh, or realize that they're just miserable examples of trying to pursue any of that. And so one of them just bears fruit. And the other one, you really wrap up in legalism because now you're trying to help them earn some kind of righteous righteousness, even if you're not telling them that they can be righteous in the sight of God through those good works. You're still trying to push them towards, hey, if you just do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be better. It's like, well, you're not. You're not going to be better uh, because you don't have the righteousness of Christ given to you to even produce an alien righteousness, even through the cooperation of the Spirit. But this person who's a Christian, you give them the same thing. And the power of the Holy Spirit will then, like we were talking about earlier, uh, will allow them a practical uh, path for pursuing progressive righteousness. Yeah, I think what you said is helpful. It's looking for the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control versus you know, these actions. Yes, you know, works show our faith, but it's the fruit of that. You know, The fruit of the Spirit is what we're looking for in that. Am I doing? Am I going to church? But am I the most unjoyful person in the world doing it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a concern. You're at the right place, but is your heart right? Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be helpful for us as life group leaders. All right, a uh, couple more to this point, and then we should move on. Um, the fair, you mentioned this. The Pharisees added laws so they can try to be holy and obey the law. You know, how could we as Christians fall in that same trap? Uh, and a simple way to look at that would be, you know, it, it's fine if you want to create some more standards and some more fences in your own life so that you would not fall into sin and temptation. I, let's go back to the drunkard, right? It'd be great for you to say, hey, in order to not fall into the sin of drunkenness, I'm going to stop going to the bar on Friday, Saturday night, and I'm not going to recreationally drink or drink any alcohol anymore. Great. But a Pharisee is going to say, I'm going to do that, and so are you, and 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 you. And so we can fall into a pharisaical trap by adding to uh, what it means to be righteous, uh, especially applications, right? It, it is right, right. The command is don't get drunk. How you apply that may be different than someone else, and the commitments that you make may be different than someone else's. Uh, but that's exactly what they are, commitments to make sure you aren't in sin, not, hey, since I do it this way, everyone else has to do it this way. That's very helpful. All right, moving on to point number three for the sake of time. You know, point number three is to long for complete righteousness. And I love to actually go through one of the application questions as a, as a life group leaders. You know, question number five, what does longing for complete righteousness look like in the Christian's daily attitude, disposition, thoughts, and actions? And if you can give maybe a couple specific examples to those, that would be a benefit for, for us as life group leaders. Okay. Specific examples, uh, longing for complete righteousness. And I think I was, even in my sermon, I'm like, it's not trying to paint an overly positive picture of this life. You know, we want to do that. I want to make this life everything that it can be. And there is, is I think, some merit in saying, hey, I want to, live this life as full as possible. But a specific example of complete righteousness, like this life is just not all that. It's, it's, a, it's a hard life. It's a painful life. And in my attitude, how that would change my attitude is say, you know, I can be joyful even in this burdensome moment in my life. And I can be uh, satisfied in the righteousness of Christ and what God is doing in my life through progressive righteousness right now, uh, still realizing that, man, 
glory be to God that he's done what he's done in my life right now. Really stinks that the world is the way that it is right now. But man, I can't wait to experience the complete righteousness that is the come. So that was my attitude, right? That's an attitude change, right? I'm no longer getting all like mopey, mopey. And I, you know, I'm not Eeyore or, you know, those guys because, oh man, the world is just so bad. No, we long for what is to come and we mourn here. But my attitude is a kingdom attitude. I'm, and I have this, I have such a down payment here that I recognize, wow, there's so much good here. And my disposition, uh, I'm not, I'm not overly broken. Uh, I'm not overly broken in my daily disposition, right? I'm like, well, the world's just going down, you know? And I'm, and I'm probably not like overly enthused with society either, you know? So it's like that, you know, my disposition isn't like a roller coaster. It's like a, this is the world we live in, you know? And I'm looking forward to the kingdom that is to come. And that does change my thought life, you know? It's so I turn on the news and it's like, you know, when I hear of the a war going on, I'm not like, oh, no, this is the end of the world, man, you know. Uh, and my thoughts are like, you know what, this can, this takes my thoughts back to longing for the day when all of the heavens and all of the earth will be righteous. And then my actions in those specific examples would be me uh, not, you know, not living like a broken life. You know, talking to people and not being like, dude, zero's going on. Man, we're, man, what are we going to do? Man, what are we going to do, man? What are we going to do? Did you hear those banks that shut down? Dude, our whole life is, our life's done. I have no money anymore. It's like my actions are like, no, 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 man. Doesn't this remind you to be so steadfast and immovable in the hope that we have in Christ and what is to come? And then my whole life reflects that. Like, I, I don't, I help my wife and my family and my church be steadfast and immovable. Uh, I'm not over here being, I'm not a, an alarmist, right? I'm not going to be an alarmist. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to alarm people with the gospel, and that's how it's going to change. I mean, that, that's just the way I can think about it, right? and just quickly. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, just moving on to some of the application question direction. Uh, as life group leaders, any uh, helpful direction with these particular questions are dealing with justification, sanctification, and glorification? Yeah, I mean, we just did question number five. Uh, but yeah, if, if you can make sure, and I hope you caught that, which you sh- right in your uh, sermon, is that we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are the three states of the believer throughout redemptive history. Uh, and so, if you can keep these in mind, like what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to be glorified? You're going to be able to attach those to questions two and three, and then four and five, and then six. Uh, six will be glorification. Five will be longing for glorification four would be uh sanctification four a will be sanctification three will be uh positional righteousness or justification and three a justification and then question two is just a upfront question do you hunger and thirst for righteousness i think that's just a heart check question there Thank you. All right. Uh, well, there's a resource. Is there a resource that you had? I have one I've written down that might be helpful for us as life group leaders to have to help us uh, hunger and thirst. Yeah. Judy from the bookstore today said, you know, that sermon goes all along with uh, the book Hole in Our Holiness. She's like, it's like right along with it. So yeah, the Hole in Our Holiness, if you haven't encouraged your group to buy that book, definitely do it. Uh, it does go along with this sermon pretty well. 
are. And the book I recommended also in the bookstore is Spiritual Disciplines by Don Whitney to really help us understand the purpose of spiritual disciplines and it helps us to hunger and thirst for God more. All right, Pastor Hayden, we had a really good and extensive training with them just a few moments yeah, ago. I'm grateful to be with you in that life group leader training. You guys had some good questions. I think we were able to uh, to move in a really good direction with uh, future life group leadership. So thank you guys for that. And just a shout out to Chris and Susie. Welcome to the team. So grateful for you too uh, and praying for many more leaders to come on board. All right. And what do our life group leaders look forward to this coming month? Well, April 1st, we have churchwide outreach. And so I want to encourage you, have your group come out to that. I want you to allow them an opportunity to sometime for them for the first time in their life, inviting people to church and sharing the gospel with people. And so, you know, praying that the weather holds out and that from 930 to one, we're going to be able to get out there and we're going to be able to share the gospel, invite people to Easter and get them in front of the gospel being preached. We have Easter weekend, so that will be Good Friday on that Friday. And then Easter Sunday, Good Friday services at 4.30 and 6, and Easter Sunday at 9 and 11. And afterwards, we'll have our Easter uh, celebration. And again, we just want you to invite, invite, invite. We want to see people come to know Jesus. And the last two announcements, Family Matters Conference, April 15th. April 15th uh, registered today. Uh, and then finally, we have our baptisms coming up April 23rd. If you have anyone in your group who hasn't been baptized, it is time for them to be baptized if they are saved and redeemed in Christ Jesus, if they have the righteousness of Christ imputed upon them, if they have had their lives completely radically changed by Jesus Christ, it's time for them to step forward and proclaim that publicly through uh, believer's baptism. All right, Life Group Leaders, so grateful for you guys, so grateful to be back, grateful to have you guys in church this morning, in our Life Group Leader training, and in my life and Pastor Evan's life. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.